The true self actually operates outside of time, you say. It's the eternal self. It can know itself in time, but that's in the moment you stand in. The true self doesn't operate in fear, you know, doesn't look to others to be affirmed for their worth or their lack of worth, if that's the issue. Um, the true self knows. The small self thinks and the true self knows. You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, Episode 62, Aligning with the True Self with Paul Selig. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Welcome everyone to the Soul and Wonder podcast. Today's episode is with special guest, Paul Selig, one of the most popular spiritual channels and mediums working today, and he'll be diving into his latest book, The Book of Freedom, a really, really good one. Read it. (laughs) And together we'll explore the topic of aligning with your true divine self, literally the entire purpose of this human journey. So this is a big one, guys, very, very big one. And one of the tools we all need to leverage on this journey of alignment with our true nature is our intuition, our inner compass that when actually listened to can guide us seamlessly through our lives, helping us make empowering decisions, keeping our cool during challenging situations, and even deepening our relationships. So Chris and I, we get asked a lot about intuition, like what is it? How can we differentiate it from our ego? How does it show up? Why is it important? And so I felt inspired to create a video on five tips to activate your intuition, tips that you likely haven't considered before. And I want to give this to you as a gift heading into the new year. Plus, when you get your gift on activating intuition, you'll also have the chance to check out my 2019 yearly forecast intuitive reading package, which will help you ease those butterflies about the unknown so that you can move into 2019 with more confidence and more clarity. Now, you don't want to miss out on this, guys. It's not like any reading you'll get anywhere else. I throw in a bunch of awesome bonuses to support you on your path of self-discovery because ultimately you are the creator of your reality. So snag your gift on intuition at stressfreehappylife.com forward slash yearly forecast. That's stressfreehappylife.com slash yearly forecast and give yourself a head start into 2019. And we're so excited because today we are talking to Paul Selig. He is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels channels working today. In his breakthrough works of channel literature, I Am the Word, The Book of Love and Creation, The Book of Knowing and Worth, The Book of Mastery, and The Book of Freedom, his latest text, author and medium Paul Selig has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. Paul was born in New York City and received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. As a way to gain a context for what 
he was beginning to experience, he studied a form of energy healing and began to hear for his clients. Described as a medium for the living, Paul has the unique ability to step into and become the people his clients ask about, often taking on their personalities and physical characteristics as he hears them telepathically. Paul's unique abilities have been featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, the Biography Channel series, The Unexplained, Gaim TV's Beyond Belief, and the documentary film Paul and the Word. He has appeared on numerous radio shows and podcasts, including Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie and Bob Olson's Afterlife TV. Paul now offers channeled workshops internationally. He serves on the faculty of the Omega Institute, the Kripalu Center, and the Esalen Institute. Also a noted playwright and educator, he served on the faculty of NYU for over 25 years. He has directed the MFA in creative writing program at Goddard College for many years, and he now serves on the College Board of Trustees. He lives in New York City where he maintains a private practice as an intuitive and conducts frequent live stream seminars. And we just truly love sharing space with Paul. He really had great energy to bring to the table about these wonderful topics. We're going to talk about Paul's major catalyst and his journey into channeling and how his life has changed since then. And we're also going to get down to the difference between channeling and psychic readings because there is a difference and what actually qualifies as legitimate channeling. Now, his channeled text that he's written in the last eight years cover a wide variety of topics, and so we're going to talk about who and what is the source of this information. And my favorite, we'll talk about his latest book, The Book of Freedom, and the premise of its teachings on alignment with one's true self. And Paul's going to give you helpful tips for raising your vibration to align with a more coherent expression of your true divine self. And then we close it out with a chat on the direction of humanity and consciousness. I know that that's what you guys are waiting for. So without further ado, let's roll in the interview with Paul. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We're really excited to share this space with you today and very, very inspired by especially this latest book, The Book of Freedom. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to dive into that. But before we get into the heart of the content, you know, you've been a medium, psychic, clairvoyant, whichever words you want to use, right, for a number of years now. And in your bio, it does mention how in 1987, you had a spiritual experience, which left Mm -hmm. you clairvoyant and was a major catalyst in your journey. What exactly Mm -hmm. happened there? Well, you know, I was 25. I was a year out of graduate school. Um, I'd had a list of things that I had to have achieved in the world that I thought would make me okay. And I got the whole list and I wasn't okay. And I began out of sheer necessity looking for something more. And I, um, I heard that there was this thing happening called the harmonic convergence. And I heard people were going to be waking up. And I had just gone to this place where I thought, well, maybe there was such a thing as God, even though I'd been raised pretty much an atheist. Um, But I'd already begun to make that leap. Um, And I went up to the roof of this building that I was living in the night before this supposed event, and I I asked to be woken up. I figured, well, if you ask why, if there was a God, why would it say no? And I'm not going to say that it enlightened me or turned me into an awakened being. I don't claim to be either of those things. But 
I did have an experience of energy. And, you know, I often say, for all I know, I was just hyperventilating up there on the roof. You know, it turns out the mantra, somebody gave me a mantra and a crystal, you know, and I had these props that I thought you needed for this big event that I believe was coming. Um, but it turned out the, the mantra was a Kundalini mantra. I didn't know what Kundalini was, but people later said it sounded like the spontaneous Kundalini awakening. It was experience of energy moving up, 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 and out through the top of my head. And, um, you know, and after that, I started seeing little lights around people. I don't know if it was a direct relation or not, but given where I came from, the idea that you could have a palpable experience of, of energy or phenomena or the divine was very important. I, I think for me, it was catalytic and a bit of a touchstone for me because, you know, after something like that happens, things change and things were changing anyway. I think going from living in a world where there's no such thing as God or a higher power, whatever you want to call it, to one in which there is, is already like moving to another planet. So, you know, you have to adjust to the new, the new atmosphere. So that was 1987, and that was that experience. And, you know, everything after that has just been, you know, everything after that. Mm. What a powerful dynamic. I like how you explain that contrast going from one world to the next. And you mentioned that there are some adjustments that have to be made often. What were some of those adjustments that you found yourself having to make at that time? Well, I mean, there were a lot of adjustments, adjustments that were happening at that time. You know, I, I had a, a pedigree, kind of. I was fresh out of Yale, and I'd been writing plays and getting attention for those things early on and had been counting on those things. And suddenly I wasn't able to count on them anymore. I, you know, had stopped drinking. I wasn't a partier anymore. I was suddenly living in this other possibility. So everything changed is the only way that I can say it. My idea of who I was, my idea of what was possible, my idea of who I was in relationship to other people, my belief in separateness and specialness and all of those things, all of those things were challenged in very radical ways. I mean, there's been nothing about my own path that's been terribly convenient to my personality. None of it, you know, it was mostly, I mean, I've, somebody asked me about this recently and I said, you know, some people just sort of flower when they open up spiritually. And for me, it was like I threw up on everything for about three years, you know, <laughs> it wasn't pretty and it wasn't graceful and it's probably still ongoing. I mean, that's just who I am. It doesn't mean that's the right way or, or anything other. So, you know, that was my experience. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but it continues to change. And my investment in whatever the status quo is and is supposed to be is always challenged through this, not because I think that's what I want, but because it's what happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's been somewhat of an evolutionary journey through for you. And, and so as a, as a clairvoyant, you have the ability to gain information mm -hmm. through extrasensory uh, perception. And this mm -hmm. is something that many of our listeners are familiar with, mm -hmm. uh, as we've talked about these topics before, but they might not know anything about channeling, so to say. Yeah. And so what, can you tell us what channeling is and what's the difference between a channel and being a clairvoyant? Well, I mean, clairvoyant means clear sight. And while I do access information visually, and while my first opening was to visual phenomena, 
that's not really how I work in my practice. I'm primarily a clairaudient, which is clear hearing, and a clairsentient, which is clear feeling. I have this odd ability to step into other people that I've never met, and I may begin to resemble them, and I can hear them, and I do a lot of work with people um, to support them in sort of working through relationship issues as a result of that. When I'm channeling, I'm taking dictation, and I feel sometimes that people mistake inspiration for channeling. I think inspiration is a very real thing, but the difference is with channeling, you don't get to fix it or edit it or, or make it what you want it to be. So I'm a channel. It's like being a radio for another consciousness or some aspect of consciousness that seems to be able to work with my system in a broadcast. So when I'm channeling, I literally, I mean, there, there are different levels of, of being receded. You know, I often say when I'm channeling a book and all the books that have come through me are really the unedited transcripts of these dictation sessions with the guides. When I'm doing something like that, it's like I'm climbing into the backseat of a car, you know, and hopefully reading a magazine and sort of not minding and trusting that whoever's got the steering wheel knows where they're going because that's the agreement I've made. Other times, it's like I'm leaning over into the front seat saying, where the hell are you going? <laughs> guys I work with sort of have to answer that or at least tell me to be quiet for a little longer so they can finish what they're saying. But for the most part, what happens when I work is I close my eyes and I'll hear one phrase repeated incessantly again and again and again until I speak it. The moment I give voice to that phrase everything tumbles out right behind it. It's the way it's always been. I mean, since they began lecturing through me, and that wasn't always the case, the lecturing through me only began probably in about 2008, and I'd been doing this work for many years. But I was hearing in fragments, and I was mostly working with the energy that the guides brought through. So the initial work was all about energetic attunement. And there's, that's still very much a part of the work, but those attunements have now been accompanied by entire books that sort of unpack the attunements and support the reader and having their own experience of the energy so that I'm not necessary in the same way that perhaps I would be in a live situation. Mm, wow. That's very well said too. Thank you probably, for sharing that. Probably the best description I've heard on what it <laughs> truly does mean to be a channel um, and to channel information. You've kind of cleared up some of the myths kind of floating mm -hmm. around that realm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've written what, is it five channel texts now in the last eight years? There's six in print and the seventh that's coming out in August. And there's a couple more I'm told on the way. So, you know, it's been almost a book a year they've been delivering through me. But the books themselves, the first book took 14 days of sittings because I was channeling every day and for sometimes two hours a day. Now they'll take a little more time. It'll be over the course of, you know, three months, but the dictation sessions will be over the course of say 20 or 30 days. The books now are being done before audiences. You know, I'm sitting in a room full of hundred people and the guides are delivering their next book, mm -hmm. you know, live. So there's a, an audience that's present for the exchange, which for me is exciting because the books are living things. And, you know, before that I was on the phone with somebody in Berkeley with the recorder on and channeling up a storm and then hanging up the phone at the end and then getting it transcribed. Now it's just an event. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of touched on a few things that I think some of our listeners might want to ask a few more questions about. Mm -hmm. Um, They heard you refer to this source of information as guides or another point of consciousness. Mm -hmm. What, to your knowledge, who or what, to your knowledge, is this source exactly? I mean, I call them the guides because my ex, when my ex found out that I could do this, used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. My puppy's in the background, like, chewing a toy to death. So that's what that sound is. That's okay. Lily, come on back and see if she'll see if she won't listen to me, I'm sure. <laughs> Kill that thing on, on camera if she can. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's why they're called the guides. The guides was a convenient name. And the guides I work with don't seem to mind it at all. So people know of my guides as the guides. Um, The name that I've been given pretty much from the beginning has been the name Melchizedek, which is an older name. It's a priesthood, you know, of teachers, as far as I understand it. And their job seems to be the realization of of the divine in humanity. Um, That's my definition, not theirs. They probably would correct me about how I said that. So it seems to be a collective. My experience of them has only occasionally been visual. It's primarily auditory. You know, I hear them as a telepathic communication, and the energy is very palpable, not just to me, but to everybody present. The energy comes and fills the room when they work and um, is working with people for their own support, you know. So that's the best that I can tell you. They talk about it in a couple of the books. And actually, in the book that's coming out, in August, um, they speak to it a bit even more directly than I thought, and they begin to sort of speak to the origins of, of some of the religions that we know, you know, and how they're applicable and not applicable to some of what they're teaching. And even that energy is very apparent even through just the books. Like mm-hmm. as I'm reading through this book, I can, I'm often overcome with just full body mm-hmm. chills. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's like it ignites a memory, a sort of activation, like you were talking attunements. Mm-hmm. And um, some people might be a little alarmed. They're like, wait a minute. So you're yeah. just letting people or consciousness flow through you that you, it is not necessarily you know, in the illusion of you. So mm-hmm. they, they might be wondering, like, when or how did you give permission to allow this space to be shared and used for the betterment of humanity? Well, for me, I mean, it's, a, it, you know, I had studied a form of energy healing when I was in my early 30s. Um, so I was attuned to energy and I became comfortable working with them. And when I opened up as a clairaudient, I was volunteering at a center that was opened in New York City for people that were mostly, at that point, dying of AIDS. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic, and the centers were popping up. I have to shut my puppy up. Lily, come on. Come here. I may have to get up and, like, drag her into another room in a moment, but I prefer not to, so I'm going to see if I can stay here. So I began hearing for other people. That was the point of it. Do you understand this? My, my abilities always came in service to someone else. So my ability to trust what I was getting actually happened over time. And through my own having the experiences of the energy sort of panned out. I, I, had, I sat with a group in my apartment for about 18 years doing this work before there were any books out. Wow. Nobody knew who I was. I was a college teacher. I was teaching at NYU. I wasn't looking for a career as a channeler. I didn't even necessarily believe in channeling when I was younger. So the fact that I would be doing this was a surprise to me. 
what you spoke about about the books are important. The guide said in the very first book called I Am the Word, that the book was an energetic transmission that was working directly with the reader. And um, this is all done by permission. The guides actually increasingly, as they take us farther and farther out in their teaching, demand permission be given for what they would like to do, because they're actually going to shift us out of some of what we believed have been the requirements of a reality that's really just a construct that we've been in collective agreement to. So the idea of sort of breaking through the false ceiling into what's beyond it does require permission, I suspect. Yes. And they're saying yes, sorry, it's necessary. And they're basically just saying because free will is, is choice. You understand? So this has got to be chosen at the level, at that level, to begin to move the energy. But the energy of the book seems to work with the readers who are in tune with it. They say that the books operate on two levels. There are the words in the page, which provide an intellectual construct for what's happening. And then there is the real book, which is the energetic transmission. So when the first book was published, it was interesting because the guides had said that. And there was no publicity on the first book at all. I mean, people just sort of found it and started to share it. But the reviews started coming in on Amazon. People were saying, you know, I'm reading the book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. And so there's always been phenomena attached to this work. And what I like about that is that it actually gives the reader or the student of the work the availability to their own knowledge and experience. It's mm -hmm. not about deference to some intellectual idea. It's experiential, and it needs to be experiential in order to be, I believe, trusted and known and, and worked with effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I know, you know, reading texts throughout the years, different spiritual texts, there's been few that have felt so um, just right, I guess, authentic, um, authentic. and reading this as well, feeling those attunements while they happen is pretty special um, and is pretty rare um, as I've read so many uh, books in the past. But so your latest book, The Book of Freedom, what mm -hmm. is the premise of these teachings? If you can give kind of an overview to the listener. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you know, because there's now so many of them. But they're all they're sequential, and there's a build of the teaching, and people can enter at any time, I believe, because the guides have said more than once that they're teaching in a one-room schoolhouse, which means everybody's welcome in the classroom, and they'll be met at the level that they can attend the teachings with. I mean, that's the individual instruction or ability to comprehend that seems to happen. In the very first book, I Am the Word, they said something in the first day or two of dictation, before I even really trusted that there was a book. They said they'd had a book to write, and I didn't believe it, but I showed up for it anyway, for the spoken. And it's all spoken dictation that's been recorded and transcribed. They said they used the term Christ to mean Christ being the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. Um, as who and what you are, which is what I now understand it to mean, they say that Christ in humanity is an event that happens. And what they've been teaching, in my understanding, is the realization of the divine in form, um, the truth of who we are in expression, in form and field. And as the teachings progress, this is really where they're going. In the Book of Freedom, um, they're really beginning to invite us to have an experience of the divine as manifest, you know, and in a kind of energetic coherence. There was one chapter that was dictated 
or I don't know if it was one chapter, a big chunk of the book, maybe 70 pages of the book, was conducted during a workshop or two at the Esalen Institute. I was there for a week doing two workshops, and they took the opportunity to dictate every day. And they started teaching to the claim, I know what I am, which is means, you know, form. I know what I am in, as the divine in form. And the response that you may have when you claim that and then claim the divine in what you see, they say everything that you can see is of God because it's all made of the same stuff. It's just vibrating at different levels. And the realization or knowing of the divine in what you see will call back to you an echo or an experience of it. And it's really quite something. They do it in my workshops all the time now. But the first day that they did it, they just put everybody out on the lawn who was in the workshop and had them claim the divine from 20 feet away and the one that they see. And we'd all feel these waves of energy come back at us. And what they said is, well, you know, what you bless blesses you back, or the divine in form will call back to you its vibrational expression. And they're saying that's how the world is lifted. That's how a new world is known, is through the realization of what's always been true, not sort of the masquerade that we've been engaging in here, which is not doing us terribly well all the time, it seems. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that is true freedom. Absolutely. The definition of freedom is all in this book. And it was something that, you know, you can feel a calling to even when you aren't quite sure that you feel a calling to remembering this freedom. And this book surely came into our lives at the perfect timing. So for that, I'm grateful. And, you know, the book does talk a lot about stepping away from the boxes that our small self may in fact put us in and Mm -hmm. learning how not even really learning but remembering how to embody the true self the divine self which you were talking about Mm -hmm. what is the difference between the small self and the true self well as i understand it the the personality self is a structure and it's sort of a composite of, of information it's how we were treated by our parents and you know, what race we're born into or religion or, you know, decayed, all of these things. It's, it's sort of the applied experience of, of, of personality, I suppose, is one way to look at it. It's an idea of who we are based on, in many ways, prescription. This is what it means to be a man or this is what it means to be a man my age or this is what it means to be. And just pick something to understand this where we have all these mirrors. This is what beauty means. This is what success means, all of those things. So the small self, they say, knows itself through historical data. That's how it knows itself. And because we're always expecting to get what we've had, we're always, they say, dining out on yesterday's leftovers. We expect to get what we have. I expect to be treated the way my mother treated me or my father treated me or what my last boss said I was good at or bad at. That's what I call forth. That's, you know, that's how we operate. The true self actually operates outside of time, they say. It's the eternal self. It can know itself in time, but that's in the moment you stand in. The true self doesn't operate in fear, you know, doesn't look to others to be affirmed for their worth or their lack of worth, if that's the issue. Um, the true self knows. The small self thinks and the true self knows. So the alignment to the true self and the expression of the true self is what they speak to. 
You know, I heard recently that somebody that I like, a friend of mine, has decided that there is no real difference between the true self and, and what the guides call, you know, the, the personality structure. And I actually can't go there because, you know, my idea of who I am at a level of personality is all pretty much been conscripted for me, you know, by my upbringing and my culture and my world. And I think I know that I'm infinitely more than that. But if I want to play by the rules of society and get what I think I'm supposed to get, which is the small self, my small self thinks I should be doing this, this, and that, and that you should say this, this, and that about what I do, because it confirms an idea. Mm -hmm. um, I can play that game. If I go beyond that, I begin to have a very different experience, not only of me, but of you as well. It's easiest for me when I'm channeling and when I'm teaching, when the guides are coming through me, because they don't hold judgment and they're not frightened. So I can look at somebody when I'm operating at that level and see the, the breathtaking beauty of who they are beyond what they may have ever conceived of themselves as. And at the same time, understand where they perceive themselves to be in lack or in shame or in you know, fear. Mm -hmm. And then you can move it by realizing the higher. You can lift them by, re by the realization of the higher. You never lift anything by confirming the old, by confirming, you know, the idea of fear, shame, or, or worth. Like, you'll be okay as long as, well, you'll, you, it's like, you know, you'll be fine when you marry the right man, or you'll be fine when you get that promotion, you know, as if it's going to be affirmed one's value and you can't affirm value in that way because if value is affirmed that way value is bullshit you know <laughs> what i mean it's dependent on whether you get the promotion or whether you get the right spouse or get into the right school and it's unfortunate that we all buy into this stuff so much i know i did mm. in some ways but i was never very good at succeeding at it which is perhaps why i'm now doing this odd work you know it doesn't <laughs> matter to me that much anymore after many, many years teaching college, that this is my life. Nobody could have told me this 10 years ago, and I don't think I would have believed it, but mm -hmm. it is. Wow. And questioning those agreements, you know, yes. those old stories, the boxes. Yeah. It's so, just even questioning it. I think they give an exercise in this book where they're like, whenever you have time, just write down all the things you could possibly ever believe to be true about your life in the world, and then ask yourself, why do I believe this? And it's not doubting what it is. It's just giving you the power to move into a space where you can cleanse if it's no longer serving of what we might call the true or divine self and gives you the opportunity, whether you continue to make the agreement or not, which I love, they come from this zero judgment point. They're like, hey, if you want to make those agreements, by all means, make the agreements. That is your choice. But uh -huh. you do have the freedom to make new agreements, thus opening such a wider spectrum of possibility for what can be manifest in your life. It's very well said. You know, what they say in the books are, you know, nothing can be claimed until it's first claimed as a possibility, mm -hmm. you know, and we often don't because we don't think we're allowed to, or we've been told we shouldn't, or we don't want to be disappointed or whatever the rationale is. But if we don't do that, we tend to get what we've always gotten, you know, until there's the potential for change and we accept our accountability to that, we more than likely won't 
go into agreement to it. And agreement, they say, is co-resonance. Mm-hmm. What they say, what you're seeing in your life, like it or not, high and low in between, is what you're in resonance with. That's your vibrational accord individually and as they're getting to in the Book of Freedom, collectively. What we all have agreed to, what we were all told to believe, that we can now move beyond if we're willing to. Absolutely. And I also like how you mentioned in the book about our emotional responses and how these emotional responses play out in everyday life and that we can then become more so the observer of our emotional responses to whatever is happening you know, to us at that moment um, or what other people are saying. So I really appreciate you mentioning that as well. I think it's really important for us to take a step back and to see our emotions from above. And of course, that's not always easy to do in the heat of the moment, but the more practice, the better for sure. I agree. I I mean, I'm not all that great at it, but I'm much, much better at at the understanding that everything is an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's why there really aren't wrong choices, you know? I mean, my guys have said, well, if you want to all learn by killing each other, you know, and warring, you can choose to do that. It's not the highest choice you can make, and they're certainly offering another option to that. But if you look at the world, you know, that seems to be how we've invested, you know? And uh, the guides say, you know, we, we've been at war for so long, we just expect it to be there, and consequently, we're going to keep creating it, and we have to to move to a consciousness where that's not there. Mm. A level of consciousness where war makes no sense in order for that to be, for that to be so. Mm. No, I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. So um, you shared some basically distinguished, um, you've distinguished between the small self and the true self for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what tips do you have for our listeners to begin distinguishing between the two? If you haven't shared something already, maybe something else, but also for raising their vibration to align with more of a coherent expression of their true divine self. Well, I mean, I'll share a few things first that the guides always teach, which may be just sort of helpful as sort of tips or, or, or sort of points of instruction that can be returned to. The guides say again and again that the action of fear is to claim more fear. And they say, look at every choice you've made in fear and see what it got you, which is more than likely more of the same. Um, so don't make choices based in fear. Now, this isn't about not being prudent. When I live in Manhattan, it's not a bad idea to have a lock on your door. But if I had 10 locks on my door, that would probably be indicative of something else. There's a difference between sort of asking who's at the door when the doorbell rings, you're not expecting anybody, and just opening the door to whatever. You can sort of use common sense. But the action of fear, to my mind, when I look back on my life, um, has always gotten me more and more and more of the same. And, you know, I've lived a fearful life in many ways, and all of the instruction I'm getting now is about how not to do that. So that's one thing they say. They say, you know, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. So it's a real simple, simple, simple teaching. But they say it's the hypocrisy of most religions, which is I'm holy and you're not. And the guides say, well, everything is holy and everyone is holy. And to decide that the divine isn't present and the one that you can't stand is really to deny the divine in yourself and everything else at the same time. And they say what you put in darkness calls you right to it. Mm -hmm. So, and what you judge, you fear. So there's an opportunity there to find out, again, how you're acting in fear. The guides work with attunements, and they say the attunements are language that have been encoded with vibration that will support people in 
the realization of them, of, of, of the meaning, of the attunement. And, you know, I can share, they're doing the second one, I can share one with you, which is the one in, in Book of Freedom. And, you know, it's a simple thing, um, and I'll explain it, they're saying after. So you can repeat this after me, and then I'll, I'll your listeners can as well, and I'll uh, then explain it. So I know who I am in truth. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free. 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 Now I can feel you over here. So you're, you're like going like right up like that. So that's an attunement. I don't know if you could feel it, but it's nice. So the claim I know who I am isn't spoken by the personality self. It's the true self who knows who he or she is. So my personality self is like, it's Paul. I wish I had a partner. I really want to get out of New York. I wish my dog would stop peeing on the floor. And that's all okay stuff, but it's not the eternal self, you know, who knows who he is, who's not defined through these things. I know who I am. I know what I am means in form and manifestation, you know. I know what I am in truth, which means the body and the experience of form. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth, they say, is how one is most fully expressed. To be in service is to be expressed in the highest way. I know who I am or who the divine self is in expression is how you serve. It's not necessarily your job or, you know, your career or what you think it should be. It really is how you be and how that unfolds and what that then calls to you in vibrational accord and the claim i am free i am free i am free is again spoken by the aspect of self that knows he or she is free that knows that's true which isn't the self that believes that his sense of well-being is dependent on his employment or the status of the relationship or any of the other things that we we wait with all that energy of security understand Mm -hmm. So they say that the claim itself is the attunement and the spoken or the intent of the words that can be done silently. The attunements will support you in basically tuning the radio that you are to play the higher broadcast, they say, is always present. You know, and we're all radios, they say, but these are some stations that are here that we haven't known that we can play. So they're just giving us those coordinates in resonance so that we can meet them and then through the spoken attunement, sort of aligned to the meaning and that in itself in and of itself can and will change things they say in truth um i know who i am in truth there the book before the book of freedom is called the book of truth and they say in that book in truth a lie cannot be held and the vibration of truth a lie can't be held so when you claim that you're sort of supporting yourself and not moving into self-deception around these things um, and also you're aligning to, again, what they would say is always true. You know, people sometimes say, you know, my truth is, and the guides have been known to say, well, that's not your truth, that's your opinion. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having your opinion, but what is true is always true. Mm. Mm. 
That's so powerful. And it truly is an attunement, not so much empty words that, you know, we have to find a meaning for. Like I find myself just for some reason repeating it in my head after reading it through this book and it just resonated so vibrantly in my being that like sometimes I find myself just on this loop mantra. And my best advice to people listening is you better be ready for things to fall away that are not in alignment with that claim and trust in yourself as the divine being that you are as you bring the rest of your external reality into alignment with that internal knowing. And it's so, so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Thank you. And so, you know, undoubtedly, like our consciousness is shifting dramatically um, on so many levels. And so what do you believe is in store for humanity in the coming decade? I don't know, you know, and I'm not a fortune teller. I'm a psychic, but I don't like to do that work. I mean, I know, I know what the guides have said and, and continue to teach, and they're teaching all the time. Every Wednesday, they're, they're live streaming. I do workshops all the time, and there's all these books. So the information just keeps pouring out. They don't speak to current events. Um, it's very, very rare. I don't think they've ever spoken directly, but they've responded to things that we're all looking at well. And, um, you know, two or three days, I think it was before the last presidential election, I was channeling in Richmond, Virginia, and um, they gave a lecture. And that one's actually up on YouTube. It was called Great Change. And they said, you know, you're used to choice being, you know, I'll have the milk and not the cream in my coffee. And they say, what you're about to get is what happens when the table holding the milk and the cream gets turned over. Mm. It's not what you've expected and not what you will know. And you don't have a frame of reference for it. Or maybe that I added that frame of reference. I don't remember exactly what they said. It's in a lecture. The milk and the cream, that was Jordan. And it was surprising at the time because it's not what I expected to happen at all. They've spoken again and again that humanity is at a time of reckoning. And they say a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And everything that's been, crea been created in fear needs to be renowned, reconceived. And that includes many of the structures that we become very reliant upon. That includes government and religion and all these things. Anything that's got its basis in fear, they say, is, is quaking. And the Book of Truth, and it was, this was really interesting because it came before a time when people were sort of disclosing all kinds of things. They said that what was about to happen was that the backyard was about to be excavated and everything that's been buried in the backyard gets to come up. The things that were buried last week and the things that were buried 10,000 years ago. And if you look at a backyard under excavation, it doesn't look very pretty. It's a bit of a mess. But the opportunity is for everything to be brought to the light, to be healed or to be renowned in some way. And what we keep sort of dragging around with us doesn't get healed. You know, I think somewhere in the newest book, they talk about wanting to go, what they call this place, they're teaching now in this place they call the upper room, which they say is a, a higher octave. At the very end of the Book of Freedom, they invite everybody over a threshold. And in the next book, we're right there over the threshold at the, at the top, and everything is being taught at that level. But they say, you know, you want to grab your pot of pain and bring it with you to this higher level and sit on it and protect it. And that doesn't really get to happen. We have choices here. So, I mean, I feel that where we're going has enormous potential. Do I think it's going to be graceful? No, I don't. 
because I think we're very intent on protecting the known and who we believe ourselves to be. And that's true at the level of culture and country as much as anything else. I mean, the guides recently said in another interview recently, somebody asked about the president and, and his meaning and the guides didn't speak to the president, but they did speak to the meaning. And um, they said, well, you know, what you're seeing now, and again, I'm paraphrasing and I may get it wrong, is you're starting to see who you've always been as a country in some ways. You know, the idea of being a dominator and the idea, and this is basically what's being uncovered. And they said, what you're looking at right now is what happens when the bedspread gets pulled off the bed and you get to see the bugs that have been there. It's again, mm -hmm. it's an opportunity. What you're seeing, what's been present. You know, I mean, to say that we have not been a racist culture would be to, to lie. We have been. It's been endemic and every other thing that you can imagine. And there's wonderful things about us too. And I don't speak to politics and they don't either. But I do speak to what I perceive as their message of, of change. Wow. Well, it's exciting. It's, uh, I think, nerve-wracking for some. I think we just kind of have to go with the ride. You know, you bought the ticket, take the ride, go with the flow. Well <laughs> um, so where can our listeners follow you? I know, obviously, you might have multiple websites or just one, but where can they follow you? My website's paulselig.com. It's P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. And um, it's got everything up there. It's a calendar of events. I'm doing workshops all over the place. So I'm often in somebody's backyard. Um, I'm often in Boston. I'm all over. And I live stream on Wednesday nights. And that information's up there, too. And there's information on the books as well. Though they can be purchased online at all the major retailers or in your local bookstore. Wonderful. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciated everything and uh, look forward to speaking again soon and hopefully seeing you here in Boston. Would love it. Thank you for having me. Be well. Bye-bye. Fantastic chat with Paul. Paul is just a wonderful man and we really can't recommend enough going to get his books. They're very instrumental for this shift that we're experiencing in consciousness and really the evolution of humanity. And so I can't tell you enough. Go out, get yourself one or all of these books. I recommend all. <laughs> yes, that would be a good decision on your part. But again, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation. We surely did. And we're hoping to bring more content like this to the show. So if there's any content that you want, um, you want us to cover any topics, anything like that, any guests, um, feel free to always send us an email. You can go to soulandwonder.com or you can just send us a direct message to our email at transform at soulandwonder.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And please, if you do like the show, go on iTunes, take literally one minute out of your day to give us a review, whether that's one or five stars. We like reviews. It helps us to really get clear on our content and to also bring better quality to the show. So please let us know what you think. Go to iTunes. Give us a rating and we greatly appreciate it.